Welcome back to another episode of the Pharmacy Near Me podcast. On today's episode, I have Jamie Johnson, a medical science liaison for BTG Specialty Pharmaceuticals and an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Oklahoma College of Pharmacy. Prior to her move to industry, she was the assistant managing director of the Oklahoma Center for Poison and Drug Information. She completed undergraduate coursework at the University of Oklahoma in Norman prior to completing the Doctor of Pharmacy program at the University of Oklahoma College of Pharmacy. Dr. Johnson worked at the Poison Center in Oklahoma City while completing her PharmD, which initially sparked her interest in toxicology. After graduation, she completed the Toxicology and Emergency Medicine Fellowship Program at the University of Florida Health Jacksonville and the Florida Poison Information Center in Jacksonville. Upon completion of her fellowship, she obtained a certification as a diplomat of the American Board of Applied Toxicology. When she isn't MSLing, she enjoys donating her time to various professional organizations, and most recently joining the ABAT NACCT 2019 Symposium Committee and participating in the AACT's Clinical Toxicology Recommendations Collaborative in an activated charcoal project on the Systematic Review Committee and Clinical Recommendations Panel. She's dedicated to continuing professional improvement and growth, and most recently joining the OU Health Science Center's 2019 Leadership Council. Her professional interests include critical care with an emphasis on cardiology and natural toxins, especially venomous snake bites. Her professional interests include avoiding the aforementioned natural toxin in the wild and spending time with her friends and family. Please enjoy this podcast I had with Jamie. So welcome, Jamie. Uh, I'm really excited to get to talk to you today. Uh, we've known each other a little bit, uh, but I want everyone else to kind of get to know you. So why don't you let everyone know who you are? Sure. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, but my name is Jamie Johnson. I'm a pharmacist by training um, and a clinical toxicologist like Craig. Um, I did, I went to pharmacy school at the University of Oklahoma College of Pharmacy. I graduated back in 2014, and from there, I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and did a clinical toxicology and emergency medicine fellowship there um, with UF Health Jacks and the Florida uh, Poison Center in Jacksonville. And from there, I moved back to Oklahoma, um, and I joined the team at the Oklahoma Center for Poison and Drug Information. And so I was the assistant director there, and did teaching. I was adjunct faculty at the College of Pharmacy. Um, and then back in July, I made the switch from the Poison Center to industry. And now I'm a medical science liaison for BTG specialty firms. Awesome. I'm, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting kind of pathways that is really what I want to talk about mm -hmm. today is your training, because a lot of people have an interest in, in toxicology, especially in emergency medicine. Um, yes. And they've either gone one way or another, they're either at the beginning of their career, in the middle, or uh, in, some other in some other way. But um, the ABAT certification for becoming a diplomat is often something mm -hmm. that people end up targeting. And that's a certification yeah. we both have. And we both actually took different mm -hmm. routes to get there. So, yeah. so the, the route that you took was a clinical toxicology fellowship. So in, 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 I guess, trying to describe and identify, like, what's really the main difference between that training and, say, like, a PGY-1, PGY-2 in emergency medicine? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, and the fellowships are 
all a little bit different. Um, so I can't speak to all of them, but I can speak to, you know, the ones I'm familiar with and when I graduated from. And I would say, so in my program, I worked really closely with the PGY1s and the PGY2s. And so I knew a lot about what they were doing. And, um, you know, the primary differences are staffing. Um, so we did our staffing component answering the phones at the Poison Center. Um, and they obviously did their staffing component, like working in the central pharmacy. And um, we also have different rotations. So we spend a lot of time on the talk service. They have um, a Clin talks consult service. So not an admitting service, but a consult service. And so we spend a lot of time doing that, um, you know, rounding in the emergency department, rounding on our patients, doing topics. Um, and you don't necessarily have to do like all of the standard PGY-1 rotations. Like I never did an ambulatory care rotation. Um, my first year, I didn't even do an internal medicine rotation. I just did like emergency medicine, talks, and critical care. And that was it. You're running um, over a lot of hearts right now. And yeah. You're like, oh. Yeah. Like I, never a clinic ever. No, I like I never had to, you know, do staffing in a outpatient clinic or anything like that. Yeah. So well, it was kind of like, perfect like, for me. Back to my days in, in first year residency, because that was one of the yeah. things I thought about, you know, as a career path was ambulatory care. And my interest was really in HIV. So the hmm. first year program I did was in Newark, New Jersey at St. Michael's Medical Center, which mm -hmm. is right by UMDNJ or uh, in the New Jersey Poison Center. But mm -hmm. um, the, the idea with that residency is that almost every patient in that hospital had HIV. So the clinic portion was an HIV clinic. And I was like, oh, this yeah. is going to be great. Uh, but then you get paired with an ID fellow. So you're seeing the patients in the mm -hmm. ID fellow. I remember the first day they're like, okay, so I'm an ID fellow. I'll do all the HIV stuff. And you do like diabetes and like hypertension, right? I was like, oh, hmm. that makes so much sense. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. But anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. So uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I like that. differences in kind of first year, mm -hmm. getting more specific into uh, yeah. uh, not just different specialties. Within mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I spent the first, because it's, you know, toxins, um, challenging like it's you have to know at least a little bit about everything and so it take it took a long time you know to get acclimated to the talk service and um so I spent like the first four months maybe of my fellowship on talks so like they really try to get you up to speed so that you can function on the talk service on your own uh without the second year fellow and Let's see, a couple of other differences about some of the programs I know, um, like in some areas of the country, they have more occupational medicine. And so they might have an occupational medicine clinic that you get to spend time at. Um, you know, we didn't have that in Florida. So um, like I didn't have that opportunity. And so I had to really study hard for mm -hmm. occupational medicine stuff uh, for the boards because I didn't have any personal experience. Uh -huh. um, and That's it's familiar. all since kind of, fallen out of my brain, but there are some parts of the country that focus more on that. Um, and, but, you know, it's give and take, like I was in the South and so I got to treat a lot of, treat a lot of envenomations. And obviously now I work for a company that makes snake bite antivenom. So that suited me perfectly. Um, 
but in the Northeast, you know, they don't get a lot of snake bites. And so where I got to practice and, you know, I got a lot of practice in some things, some people didn't. And, you know, that's par for the course, I guess, for all programs. Right. So in, in terms of the, the training, it's, it's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of similarities, but there's important differences too, kind of like what you're mm -hmm. describing. And one of the most important differences, uh, at least that I came to understand was when I was applying to get credentialed to sit for the ABAT exam. And one of those things was um, uh, essentially the amount of training that I would have to express and then prove my clinical involvement in toxicology. So with uh, a PGY2 in emergency medicine pharmacy, you still need to justify that you are routinely directly involved in patient care with toxicology. And it took quite a bit of kind of documentation and, and whatnot yeah. to get all those points enough to be able to qualify to sit for the exam. But with a, a toxicology fellowship, at graduation, you're, you're eligible. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So it's called a fast track. And they really cater the fellowships to like check off all the boxes for your fast track document. Mm -hmm. um, and so the requirements are similar, um, but I don't have to like, I just spent my entire two years just doing those requirements, you know? And so I think that I think they're similar. And, you know, honestly, I'm not on the credentialing committee. And so I don't know. I would have to look at it, um, but I, you know, my colleagues at the Oklahoma Poison Center, it took them, I mean, and like you can attest to this, like maybe four or five years to, to be able to credential to sit for the exam, and then you have to study and sit for the exam, um, whereas, you know, it took me two years, but it was, you know, my entire life for two years and, yeah. um, you know, being a fellow and not making a ton of money and yeah. being on call and all that stuff. Well, I mean, but, the, the, the thing with the credentialing is that in, it's definitely different when you haven't sat for the exam mm -hmm. and then after you've sat for the exam, because yeah. beforehand, I, I mean, honestly, I was a little frustrated because I'm like, well, I've got all the ex experience. I'd probably been yeah. practicing for about eight years then uh, when I finally had enough points to, to get qualified to sit for the exam. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why did it take so long? This is ridiculous. Yeah. I should just get credential. I can start studying and, uh, you know, nail this exam. And then yeah. I took the exam. And I was like, <laughs> the, oh. <laughs> uh, I remember uh, the first, so again, just to, for people that don't know, it's a two-day exam, uh, which is totally different from everything else in pharmacy. So the first day is actually a written component. So you have four yeah. case questions that you have to respond in short answer or essay or um bullet yeah. points uh but you actually have to not multiple choice yeah you have to come up with <laughs> answers which is totally yes. different uh yeah. than any other certification for pharmacy and then the second day is a multiple choice so i remember after the first day uh i uh brian hayes had texted me and I, I, alex uh, gerard also texted mm -hmm. me too and they're like oh how'd, how'd it go how was your first day i was like oh i think i nailed it and they're like okay <laughs> get a good night's sleep <laughs> uh -huh. I was like, oh, multiple choice. I'll be able to nail yeah. that. And then the multiple choice comes and it's yeah. hard. I mean, the way that it had been described to me before, and I can definitely attest to this, and I'd, I'd love to know your opinion, is the, the difficulty 
of question is mm -hmm. like picture everything you should know about acetaminophen toxicity, for example. It's a great question, a gr good example. You need to know like sodium monofluoroacetate as well as you know as acetaminophen toxicity. Yes. And you need to know acetaminophen toxicity incrementally that much more than you would know yeah. some of these esoteric random yes. toxicities. Yeah. And, and there's the chance that one of those like random toxins is going to be one of your four questions on the written part too. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So like it, it was it was really, really eye-opening. Um, yeah. and the so I ended up taking the exam twice. because uh, okay. the first year not uncommon. Yeah, and it's not yeah. uncommon. And honestly it, it was uh, if I if I'm gonna be totally honest, I had prepared myself to take the exam twice. So I was like, I'm going to study my butt off to pass it the first time, obviously. But because I've been told so many times by so many people, it's not the end of the world. If you don't yeah. pass on the first try, you can take it again. I was like, okay, I'm going to plan on doing that. And then again, in reflecting on my performance, I like, I had missed passing by only like a, a few points. It was really, I was really, really uh, close, which I thought was going to be devastating. Breaker. But then I was like, oh, well, then I don't have that much more to do. <laughs> but like the amount of studying, I, I ramped up like crazy. Like I felt yeah. like I was a, a, a resident again, the amount of yes. work I was putting in outside of work <sighs> second year and then ended up being successful on the second time around. But my goodness, like the multiple choice on, on both years was just yeah. out of this world. I feel like I need a cocktail just talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Well, so I, I only yeah. had to take the exam once, but I studied so much, like, you know, the, like the phases of learning where you like, you're dangerous because you don't know what you don't know. And then you know what you don't know. Like, I feel like I went through that circle like every week. Yeah. Like I, you know, like I internally thought I knew it, knew I didn't know it, thought I knew it again didn't know what I didn't know. Like I would find something that I hadn't even, like I didn't even recognize. And there's just, it's, it's a challenging test. I mean, I don't want to scare people away, Absolutely but you have to study and, you know, toxicology is not regular pharmacy. Um, you know, you have to be able to develop a differential diagnosis mm -hmm. and you also have to be able to um, you know, so diagnosing something is not necessarily a normal pharmacy skill. Um, ordering labs, you know, like some disease states, we order labs and we know what we need to, we know what we need to know, you know, for disease states, but like, you know, putting together a consult and then treating patients, monitoring for adverse effects, like all those things, it's so much. And Yes, like drugs are probably 75% of it, but depending on where you live, it might be way less. You know, mm -hmm. it could be more envenomations or mushrooms or chemicals like occupational exposures or envir environmental exposures. And it's just like, it gets larger and larger and larger the more you sit there and study. And so it seems like I just wanted the day to come so I could take the test so I didn't have to worry about what I didn't know you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, it, it is certainly true. And one of the things that you were mentioning is like who, 
kind of the difficulty of the exam, but it also kind of describes who the exam is intended for as well. Because I was talking to Chris Edwards about the board certification for like pharmacotherapy and emergency mm. medicine. And it like the intent for those exams is really to identify, and I like this description, uh, an entry level expert. Okay. So someone at the early phase of their career that is certainly knowledgeable, but is not by any means, you know, the pinnacle of everything you need to know. But yeah. the, the diplomat certification is kind of that, like it is yeah. meant to be someone at the pinnacle of knowledge uh, in toxicology, mm. in uh, a non-medicine profession, because other professions can sit for it. So nurses, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. I think physician's assistants, if I'm yeah. not um, Anyone, even like PhDs, um, right. as mm -hmm. long as you have the clinical experience, then you can sit for the exam. Yeah. Um, but just not positions. Yeah. yeah. It's like the other thing, and I, I'd be curious to know your experience. So again, you did get spend time. Sorry. No, it's fine. You repeat that. Spend time in the emergency department with ER residents. And that was one of the things I actually found really helpful in terms of identifying a differential or learning the yes. skill to identify a differential and seeing how they work up a patient. So was yes. that something that found helpful as well? Oh, yeah. Right. So even so I spent my first year probably I'm sorry, I think probably six to eight months of my first year either on the talk service or on an emergency medicine rotation. And so like our how like the hospital ran where I did my training was, you know, every morning at seven we had rounds, like walking rounds in the ED. They were short, like not like upstairs rounds, but um so I got to listen every single day to like every patient in this like ECC or critical care, you know, emergency department. And I got to listen to like how they trained the emergency medicine residents to create differentials. And that like, I fell in love with that. Like if I could do that every day, I would. I, mm -hmm. It's so fun. And that's like, it's like everything's a, a little bit of a puzzle mm -hmm. and like, you know, like, what else can I add to my differential? Like, how many things can I have on here? Um, and the talk service was, um, like, even though it was pharmacist driven, it was a big part of rounds, you know, everyone always wanted to know our opinions. And, you know, they, we, pharmacy had a respected presence at that facility. And so it was a really, like, fun way to learn. Mm -hmm. And I think that, it would have been challenging for me to learn how to do that without that experience, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, I can definitely identify with that as well because uh, in my residency and then when I went back as faculty at Rutgers uh, and even my short time at NYU, there's the ER medicine residents that they would have to go through that process in, in um, their Wednesday conference or just yeah. you know on daily discussions on the floor and you, if you're around it enough, you can't help but start picking things up. And then mm -hmm. you start to get involved with it from their end and try to work up a patient in that respect too. So it's really transformative for, I guess, a pharmacy mind to be in there long enough to start to get that. And I really found that to be one of the things that help, I think helped me the most, both yeah. on the exam and then since kind of working mm -hmm. on more of like a, a expert level because it's not just cool to learn all that stuff, but it really does help you broaden your differential truly so you yeah. don't miss something. And it's not mm -hmm. just testing everything under the sun, but it's testing 
and uh, working something up uh, cognitively or like with an intent yeah. and, and not missing something. Cause it's, so, again, mm -hmm. as you know, it's so easy to miss something. And that's one of the things I teach with the residents now with overdoses that someone comes yeah. in, you know, complaining they, they ingested gabapentin and like something else. And then they have a salicylate level. It's like, well, yeah, yeah you can't just go right on the patient's history. Cause yeah, that's yeah. fraud also. Well, and it's not always talks like everybody, like, I think sometimes it's easier if it's tox patient, you know, um, like you can call the poison center and they can tell you what to do, but sometimes it's not tox. And I think that like, I know that there are consults that there have been consults that I've done where I'm like, well, did you get a head CT? And they're like, well, but it was this. And it's usually a resident, obviously, but they're, they're like, well, but they, they admitted to this. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, it does you still need to work up your patient. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I think that um, like labeling something as tox is convenient because then, you know, depending on where you're practicing, then someone else will do your differential development for you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes you need help because tox is extensive, but yeah, it's like, I thought it was interesting that people like, I felt really, I guess, like valued as a toxicologist because people always want to know what my opinion is about stuff mm -hmm. um, and making sure they're not missing something because, you know, it's a, it can be a lot. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There's a lot even outside of, you know, I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to sit for the exam is because you know, there aren't a lot of toxicologists. And when you choose to be one, you have to wear a lot of hats. So you have to do like, you know, you kind of have an obligation to do a lot of educating because there aren't a lot of people that know everything that you know. Um, and so you have to do a lot of teaching and you have to do public education. And, um, you know, you have to make a concerted effort to add to the literature. Um, you know, so there are all those other boxes on your like AVAC credentialing document that you have to check off because mm -hmm. yeah, it's a skill set that's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. So kind of jumping on to uh, some of the things we've done together otherwise is one of the things yeah. that I, I guess I first got introduced to you by was uh, working on a paper talking about antivenoms for North American pit vipers. So that was a really interesting experience because like we never, it was so, it was so 2020, but we were doing it yeah. right before because we <laughs> yeah. never actually met, yes. uh, but like we worked really well together and it was really interesting. Yeah. So uh, like one of the coolest things with that paper, and maybe you could talk a little bit about it, mm -hmm. is that we had a librarian help us with the literature yes. search. Yeah. So um, like I work for the, so the um, Poison Center in Oklahoma falls under the umbrella of the College of Pharmacy. So we're part of the OU Health Sciences Center campus. And, you know, like we could talk about being a part of an academic like institution all day. And, you know, there are like pros and cons of that. But one of the biggest pros that I have ever discovered is librarians. Like they're there for you and they're free and they're so knowledgeable. And um, Sherry Clifton was our librarian's name, I believe. Yep. Um, and all we did was have one meeting with her. We told her like our plan for this review article. And, 
you know, kind of our parameters. And she created like a very robust, like set of literature for us to review. And she wrote like essentially our methods section, like she was able to help us. It, it made this like kind of what seemed to me at the beginning, like this insurmountable task of doing like almost a systematic review. Mm-hmm very accomplishable yeah and as like i'm a part of another systematic review currently and in comparison this one was like warp speed finished like it got <laughs> we got through it so quickly yeah um and i think that it was like obviously in huge part like thanks to her I, right I mean, don't you think yeah no i i mean i completely agree it was very eye-opening and totally reflective on, on, I get as being super nerdy, but kind of being a toxicologist and also being able yeah. to ask for help. Um, yes. That's another super mm-hmm. important skill, both as an ER pharmacist and a toxicologist, whereas like you need to be able to identify your skills, but mm-hmm. where your skills are limited and then also yeah. have colleagues that you can lean on to kind of make up for that. And yeah. uh, uh, being able to, like pharmacists are, totally capable of doing great literature searches. It's something we, you know, go over in school quite a bit and, you know, postgraduate training, I'm sure we get it drilled into Mm -hmm. our heads, but still it's like, if you really consider yourself as good as as someone that does this professionally, living, it's like, it doesn't come close. The other other experience I've had too in in the same vein is statisticians, right? So like pharmacists, again, pride ourselves on literature evaluation and being able to kind of Mm -hmm. break down studies, which we do very well. But like our knowledge of stats is very elementary compared to someone that has, yes. say, a PhD in stats. Yeah, <laughs> like yes. the, we don't even speak the same language. And no. uh, one of the things that, and I don't know if you've had experience with this now in like at Oklahoma or your current mm. uh, position, where uh, we've gone, we've had a study idea, and we've actually reached out to a local university statistician department, mm-hmm. and they come back with like a response that we couldn't even have considered. Most of the time they're like, we yeah. don't understand what you're trying to do yeah. and what you're saying you want to do doesn't make sense to us. Yeah. Yes, so um, the College of Pharmacy has an amazing biostatistician. His name's Stephen Neely and I owe him so much. I wish I could have like paid him personally because <laughs> you know, the Poison Center, a lot of what, it's hard, it's challenging to do research in toxicology. Um, and so we had to do, we were always trying to do like the best research we could do based on the data set that we have, which is limited. You know, the national poison data system has a very robust database, but it's still limited in that it's like, um, you know, check boxes. Like there's not like you have to go out of your way to get a narrative from a chart um so you couldn't read like what the physician wrote or what the specialist that was taking care of the patient wrote you can just you would just know like basic demographics and things like that um and he was able to shed so much light on that and he gave us a lot of um like like i was a little discouraged by the limitations of the data and he was like well we can control for this we can do like you know he really like opened up our opportunities to utilize that data for 
things. Um, and so I think that just, I, I think that what you're able to do on your own, like the more, especially like the more specialized things get, the more there is to know out there, like the less capable you are of doing something like completely by yourself. And so I you could totally agree with you. Yeah, you could like, you, you could definitely get it done to a level of yeah. say, and I don't want to demean this in any way, but like a poster presentation at a mm -hmm. National Pharmacy yeah. Conference, like you could totally do it where it's that sufficient. But I know most people out there want more for the research because they right. deeply care about it. They put a lot of time in it and effort into it. And in my experience, when you've gone, when I've gone to at least to publish something like that, that's one of the main comments you, you get back where you're like, well, this just isn't robust enough or what you're mm -hmm. finding isn't really describing what you should have found or, or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, and getting over that hump is definitely career advancing because you're going to be able yes. to kind of lean on those partnerships mm -hmm. and get more things done in less amounts of time. Uh, so yeah. it's just, it's one of those skills that I think, again, having all this different training and yeah. an ER and toxicology yes. mindset is we're more suited to it. And I don't want to say yeah. other professions or specialties rather aren't, yeah. but we're, we tend to be more flexible and like, well, we'll just yes. go with it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, I mean, it's just, like, I'm never going to, like, I can do some basic event settings, but I would never expect for a pharmacist to be able to, like, manage someone's ventilator, you know, even if it's a salicylate overdose or, you know, a, like, some other, like, a, I don't know, essential oil aspiration or something. So, like, it's not meaningful for me to spend all of my time, like, you know, a year of my life learning that whenever there's very capable like pulmonologists and respiratory therapists and people that I can talk to about that. So like, why wouldn't I apply those same principles in like other aspects of my practice, I guess. Like yeah. the library at OU also has um, like a writing team. And so they can help you with your manuscript development too. So like they're, you know, it's like there's, they have these resources to teach students you know, how to do these things, but also like as a professional, they can help you with this stuff too. Definitely. So the recent change in your career, you've gone mm -hmm. from a uh, assistant director at a poison center to a yeah. medical science liaison. So yeah. that, that, that's a big jump and it's not totally uncommon. Other people have certainly done yeah. that. Um, but how's it been going so far like in your experience and yeah. in jumping into that realm? So it's a big change. Um, you know, it was, I was hesitant to move away from the poison center. Um, they, you know, first of all, I wasn't unhappy at the poison center. I think that needs to be known because they're kind of like, you know, definitely my work family. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked at the poison center for three years during pharmacy school. So mm -hmm. altogether I worked there like 10 years and, um, I really liked it but I was feeling a little like just a smidge burnout. You know, I was tired of being on call and getting woken up, you know, in the middle of the night. And um, I was starting to feel like not super grateful about my job anymore. And um, so I, you know, considered changing and I, you know, I was thinking that I would have to have like, 
this perfect situation happen for me to change, you know, and I made it a little bit hard on any company to do this, but BTG really, it was a perfect fit for me, essentially. I mean, it was just kind of mm. perfect. I don't know that I would have left my current position for any company. Um, you know, first of all, the product, like I'm familiar with it. I use, you know, CroFab in my practice all the time. Um, you know, they have other products, Digifab, Raxase, that we also use all the time. Um, and so, you know, I felt confident that, you know, we were gonna be taking good care of patients, but also just like the company as a whole, like, you know, I don't know if everybody does this, but I do like decade resolutions, you know, in 2020, like in the 2020s, I wanted to spend like, I'm finally at a point in my career where I'm not like, like chunking humongous amounts of my check, my student loans, you know, I'm like getting there. They're not gone, but I'm getting there. And I want to like give back, you know, I want to spend more time like making the world a better place. And you know, I asked that in my interview with them and, you know, they have all of these initiatives and, you know, something really big and exciting is coming and they were able to share that with me. And, you know, that it kind of cemented it for me. Like now, like, I feel like this is a total millennial thing that we're talking about right now, but like, I feel like we should be more responsible in the choices that we're making about who we work for. And, so like that's one of the big reasons for me personally like obviously being an msl and working in industry has connotations in some people's minds um but being a, a part of the medical team is totally different than what i thought and so i kind of feel like i like i can't wait to share like what it is that MSLs do and how important they can be for patients and for education and all these other things. Um, you know, because I didn't know any MSLs. Like I'm from Oklahoma. It's not like, you know, we don't have a lot of industry there. Um, you know, not a lot of big companies or anything like that. And so I just didn't have any like, you know, experience working with industry really. Um, and toxicology, like there's not, you know, new drugs coming out that often in the talks world um but i don't know so far it's been pretty good i don't really know 100 percent what my job looks like because of the pandemic so like yeah. there's supposed to be a lot of traveling i've been told but i haven't done any traveling obviously mm -hmm. um you know lots of conferences and lots of learning which is you know I'm kind of a nerd. Like you have to be a little bit of a nerd to be a toxicologist. And so it's totally, yeah, the toxicology <laughs> thing is totally fitting for that. And that's funny. So I was talking to another friend uh, who recently became an mm -hmm. MSL as well after being an ER pharmacist for a long time. And she was saying okay. a lot of the same things where yeah. it's just when you're an ER pharmacist or a pharmacist in general in a hospital setting, you, you don't tend to have the best. I guess, opinion of MSLs, because you think they're just yeah. trying to sell you something or yada, yada. So a lot of people end up getting some really bad mentorship from other people and yeah. get this poor relationship. And then when she became an MSL, she's like, I had it totally wrong. Like, yeah. not just from the perspective, I now need to do that job, but really and truly and honestly, the, the, the intent of the position is, is totally different from what um, 
uh, I guess a lot of people think it is and what it should be. So yeah. it's really eye-opening, again, to keep talking to more and more people about it um, and really try to yeah. understand where we can both kind of see and see eye to eye and, and work yeah. towards different solutions and, and better patient care. And again, yeah. that's, I think that's the, the hardest thing for a lot of people to get over is that, well, you don't work in a hospital, so why should you care about patient care? And it's just, well, you're, just, you're, you're also a person and you're human yeah. and you care. Yeah. Like, let's, get on, let's get over that and start moving yeah. forward. Yeah. So. I think, yeah, I mean, I, where I did my training was very like academia driven. And I think that it was a real hang up for me, like personally, like, is, are you like selling out to big pharma? Like the whole climate of, you know, the world currently. And I don't, I really don't feel like that. I think that I, I mean, I know that I did good work at the Poison Center and I know that I helped people, um, but now I have all these resources. Like if I need to find, like I can just buy an article if I need to, you know, or I can like, I know that's a silly example, but I have a lot of resources at my disposal to do things that are really important that might help patients in the long run. Um, you know, and no toxicologist is going to get to spend their entire day talking just about envenomations or just about like X, you know, you name it. And so like, I've done, like, I've gotten so far into the weeds <laughs> in like venomics and all of this stuff that I feel like I'm studying for the boards again, you know, <laughs> like really back in it. And it's, I mean, it's been fun, you know, I'm learning a lot more about stats than I ever did, than I ever knew before. I just didn't have time, you know, mm -hmm. um, and like you, you know, people are willing to invest in me so that I can become like a better speaker, for example, a better teacher, um, you know, better leader, better time management. And so, you know, they invest a lot in you so that you can do your best, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, is nice for someone at like my point in my career to have, because I think elsewhere, I might have to be doing a lot of that on my own. Mm -hmm. um, so in addition to, you know, everything we've already talked about, there's also that component, uh, which is really nice. I think it's, you know, becoming more common that people worry about, you know, work-life balance and burnout and all of those mm -hmm. things. But it's kind of at the forefront of our minds here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we just get to do a lot of fun stuff, like just learning, just going to conferences and yeah. facilitating research, like thinking of research and making it happen and helping people, you know, reach their like goals when it mm -hmm. comes to like, you know, new literature development and that kind of stuff. So if you had to give yourself advice to yourself like five six mm -hmm. years ago uh about getting into an msl position yeah like what would you have told yourself i think you know i don't think i would have made the switch sooner um like i think that you have to have well and this is you know, a Jamieism. Like, I don't know if this is true across the board, but I think that you really need to be an expert in your field to be a good MSL. Mm -hmm. um, I think I probably would have spent 
a little more time relationship building. Um, you know, I always, I'm a little introverted. Like I don't really like to, you know, go up to strangers at conferences and make conversation and things like that. Like that sounds terrible and I don't want to do that. But I think that I would have done that more, you know, understanding how other places practice, like learning, you know, about other toxicologists and their research interests and, you know, building your network. I think that's probably what I would have done differently, like knowing where I'm going to be now. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I would have done anything else differently from like, you know, the choices I've made in my career, because I think the best MSLs are, you know, people that have been practicing in like that specific area, be it, you know, hemonc is huge, um, cardiology, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's important that you have that skill set, um, you know, in, a, in order to relate to your KOLs, your key opinion leaders. Right, right. Cool. So uh, just a, a few more questions. So I noticed you've been yeah. drinking. Is it coffee or energy? Yes, I hope it's, it's not a Red Bull in a giant, giant mug. <laughs> no, I'm not a big, I know this is like contradictory to downstairs emergency medicine people, but I do not like energy drinks. Yeah, I can't do I just them. drink coffee. Yeah. yeah I they can't taste do like it. medicine to me. They're like too sugary. But yes, this is coffee. There's all kinds of different brands, and I don't understand I, them. I feel very old when it comes yeah. to things. <laughs> I just don't understand it. Yeah, too many choices. I don't I don't, like what's the what's your I guess most recent favorite book that you've read? Um, sciency or regular? Either. Okay. Um. So I'm usually reading at least three or four books. Um. Right now, I have this book that I just picked up, which is a science book, Clinical nice. Biostatistics. I think and I've seen that Made Ridiculously Simple. <laughs> I may have read it. <laughs> <laughs> I am reading um, a uh, biography of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Very nice. I'm reading this book, The Invisible Man. Oh. Um, which I just found out recently that Ralph Ellison is from Oklahoma City. And so I felt like that, that book's been on my list for a long time. Um, you know, it's just a classic piece of literature, um, mid-century. And, but whenever I found that out, I was like, oh, I should move that to the top. So Very cool. I just picked that one up. Um, I've been reading a book called The Plutonium Files for what feels like my entire adult life. It's so dense. <laughs> it's really interesting, but it's so dense. It's, first of all, it's like 500 pages. It's about um, just kind of like the, you know, the history of um, radiation and wow. the development of the atomic bomb and then that the transition of like that into science and treatment of patients and the experiments that were done and like the declassification of all of like those documents in the nineties, you know, we talk, it talks about like all of that stuff. It's really interesting, but it's just a lot to swallow. And I can only read it like two to three pages at a time. <laughs> that does sound pretty dense. <laughs> but, anyway, I really... but I started it and I'm going to finish it. Just 
Eventually. Might be 2030. Well, maybe, maybe today's the day uh, you can get back to it. But I really appreciate you taking time today and, and speaking with me. I know we have a lot more to talk about, and we'll probably have to do this again just to make sure yeah. we can cover everything. But it's I been agree. great. I, I hope you have a great day, and hopefully see you soon. Thank you. You too. Take